I'm excited a little bit about what we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, understanding the gospel as a child, how to see and receive the gospel of the kingdom. And I don't pretend that tonight is going to be a comprehensive uh, exposition of the gospel. But I'm, the reason I'm, I'm kind of excited about talking about it is because a lot of people that I know... So, Well, let me back up to another story. So for the last two days, I did participate in an online theology roundtable headed by a friend of mine named Harold Eberly, and I've been doing these for years. And it is so fascinating to watch the progress of thinking in these conversations. So there was about 25 pastors yesterday and about 20 today. And um, the way it works is we gather together, and Harold started doing these because uh, of COVID. He couldn't have his regular conference last year. And at that conference, which is coming up, they're, they're going to have the in-person conference up in Yakima at the end of next month, uh, first time in a couple of years. The, uh, the morning from like uh, 9 to 11, or 9 to 10, 39 to 11, of each of the, the two days or three days of the conference, depending on how long the conference is, uh, a, a group of us get in there, and it's usually about 20 or 25 people, and we talk theology. And Harold warns it. He said, don't bring any evangelists because they hate theology. Now just get bored senseless. And uh, you don't, you know, all this kind of stuff. But for the, the dweeby pastor types and theologians and things like that, it's a lot of fun. And we've, we've, I've just watched the Lord open our hearts in so many different ways. It's really, really very special. And so uh, it was uh, not an exception to that rule. So for the, uh, the online ones that he does, usually two or three people will share. And the idea is to share about 20, 25 minutes and then have some dialogue among everybody, share another topic. It usually gets kind of, it usually, somebody usually goes over and somebody gets aced out. And that was my honor this week. I, I was uh, going to share at the end and I could tell knowing who was going to be talking and all that, that it wasn't going to happen. So I got ready for it anyway, this good stewardship. But I was going to follow up on the, the childness thing that I had talked about. And so uh, I think what the Lord did, and I hope this doesn't get to anybody because it'll feel like I'm being manipulative. Uh, but I think what the Lord did is kind of help guarantee me a good spot when we have the in-person thing next month to talk about this, this childness stuff. And I'm really, I really want to do that because of this very point. And the point is, I think a lot of us have probably suspected that what we understood in previous years was the gospel, was missing pieces at the very least. Um, the, a couple of the main ones are the, the way the gospel is presented in our country and has been all, all my life um, until recently is that uh, the gospel is about the work about God sending Jesus to do a work around sin. And the work that he did around sin, the culmination of that work is the opportunity that is handed out to some, if you're a Reformed person, or all, if you're uh, not a Reformed person, but it's the opportunity that is handed out to overcome sin, to be forgiven of sin, and to go to heaven. And it, it, it doesn't really matter the particular form or whatever. That is, uh, I think, that's, that's how I've understood the gospel around us and everything. And, and, and what, I, what I always realized was, wow, that doesn't cast a very 
bold image of what Jesus did on the cross when he said, if I be lifted up, I'm going to draw all to me. And it is finished. And a lot of other things. So I always wondered about that. But the problem that I always had, and I feel like all of you guys have, have possibly had, if you ever think about uh, changing your thinking about something as fundamental as the nature of the gospel, if you don't have a different point of reference to look at it from and to think about it from, it's very, very difficult to change. It's very difficult to confront it. Because uh, if, if this, there's no doubt that the gospel is the, the good news, right? The good news of the gospel. It's incredibly important. I mean, literally, eternal life is in the balance. And so if you don't, if you, you don't just want to wade in there and, and uh, deconstruct with a hand grenade, you know, and just blow things up and all that kind of stuff. So one of the, the tremendous things that I'm sensing out of understanding that Jesus was serious about childness and about us being children, and the reason I talk about it a lot, uh, is because it gives a fundamentally different reference point to understand what the Scripture teaches about what Jesus did and why he did it. And so we're going to look at that a little bit tonight. That's what the point of this is. Understanding the gospel as a child. I kicked around a bunch of thugs, like how to look at the gospel through the eyes of a child. And I always write things too long at first, and so then I start editing them down. But how to see and receive the gospel of the kingdom. Now, that's sort of a definitive statement. Uh, Am I saying this thing I'm going to suggest is the only way to see the gospel of the kingdom? I won't go quite that far. But I might go so far as to say it's the only way that Jesus gave us to see the kingdom based on what he said. Now, do we, can we sneak around and, and peek in other ways? Yeah. I think we have. But that's enough to get me in trouble now. So what does the kingdom of God look like? Matthew 4.23 uh, the phrase kingdom of God. Okay, now I, I don't I don't think that we need to get all hung up on what's the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of the gospel and the kingdom of Jesus and all this kind of stuff. Not, that's not the point. I just wanted to refer to the idea of the the uh, kingdom, uh, the gospel of the kingdom. And so there's like five scriptures that talk about that. Remember Matthew, one of them, Luke, uh, Matthew four twenty three. Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among them. Now, the context of this one, just to refresh your memory, I'm sure you know, is this was immediately following, immediately following Jesus's uh, baptism and his announcement that this is my beloved son from the voice in heaven in whom I'm well pleased. And then he spirited off literally by the spirit into the wilderness Fast for 40 days, confronted by the, by Satan, and is, uh, is tempted, overcomes that temptation, and then he steps out, and this all happens in the Galilean region up there, and in this time period is when Jesus moves from Nazareth to Capernaum, and begins to call Capernaum his home base, or literally his own city. And so that's what's going on, and you can tell where it is in the gospel, chapter 4, uh, it's just at the end of the chapter where we, we read about Jesus' baptism, we read about the call, or, or about the uh, announcement by the Lord, going to temptation, coming out, calling uh, his first two disciples, Andrew and James, I mean Andrew and Peter, and then calling James and John. So that's 
the context of when this is. So he's now in Capernaum, and he's healing people, and he, he's making this declaration that uh, he was proclaiming or teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel kingdom and healing every disease, every kind of sickness. Okay, next one is, sounds like it's very much the same. So why would I repeat it? Well, because it, it has a different context. It's in Matthew 9. Jesus was going through all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. This is where uh, the context here is still in the, in the Galilean region, still in Capernaum, a lot of it. This is where the ruler of the synagogue came up to him and says, my daughter is sick, and then she died, and then Jesus rose her from the dead. This is where the woman with the issue of blood was healed. Uh, in and around these sort of same things, there's a demoniac, there's a... Um, um, uh, there's the person with dropsy that was healed in the Pharisee's house and got Jesus in trouble for healing on the Sabbath and various things. No, no, I'm sorry, that's not it. That's the next one. That's in Luke. This one is, but, but the other things I said is, is what happened in this context. And um, Jesus was going through all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming. So two things you can see out of comparing these two is that the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom was coupled with healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And an honest reading about Jesus' proclamation of the gospel always included that it was always surrounded and preceded and covered over and mingled in with him healing people, providing deliverance and stuff like that. So, this is an example, all right? Uh, I remember sitting one time in a men's retreat, and uh, a guy's pulled up a, a First Corinthians passage, I think it's First Corinthians, and uh, read about the gospel that, that Jesus was you know, born of Mary and, and um, lived and died and was crucified by Paul and all that kind of stuff. It was kind of like a doxology type thing that Paul had talked about. And then the guy closed his Bible and said, that's the gospel. That is the gospel. Meaning he had isolated a narrative of the gospel by Paul and he had identified that as the gospel. And I know it sat on my heart just heavy, you know, like, the gospel is more than just this story about the doctrine of the gospel. And I'm not saying that that's not an important passage of Scripture, and I'm not saying there's not a thing to study about it, but this is, the, this is the gospel in life. This is the gospel in action. Jesus was running around, being challenged by the Pharisees, challenging them back. He was healing people. He was casting out devils. He was overcoming the works of the devil in people's lives. And he was doing all kinds of things and coming up against all sorts of things, and all sorts of things were coming up against him. So, the last one is down here in Luke, and uh, it says, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John, and since that time, the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is forcing his way into it. So there's a couple things to learn from this one. First, look at where it is in the gospel of Luke. It's in 16, so it is way on down the road. It's been happening a lot. From the beginning, when Jesus walked out of the wilderness, having overcome Satan in the temptation... He, uh, um, he started proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and he was doing it in the middle, and he was doing it now toward the end. And look, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. That's John the Baptist. The, uh, since that time, the gospel of the kingdom has been preached, and everyone's forcing his way into it. So since that time, so we learn from this that the gospel of the kingdom is a proclamation about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, what's going on, the gospel of the kingdom, that was first expressed and took root 
after the time of John. Now, I think that obviously corresponds to the time that Jesus came out of the wilderness. So it didn't necessarily mean it had to be the time when John was arrested or killed or something like that. That was not the, the, the demarcation point. It was when John baptized Jesus and then made that big declaration, this is one whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He comes after me, but he is before me. So, the gospel of the kingdom is the centerpiece of Jesus' ministry. Does that make sense? Okay. Sure. I'm going to act like a kid and say I don't know what the gospel means, except I've been told it means good news. It means glad tidings or good news. Okay. Yeah. And then, so you would then apply that to whatever the modifier was that went with it. So it would be like the, the, the good news of the kingdom, or the good news of heaven, or the good news of God, or the glad tidings. And the, the first declaration of glad tidings was at the birth of Jesus, right? Remember? The angels assembled and said, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. That's good news. Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And so literally it does just mean good news. Um, it's been adopted by the four gospel writers. When they canonized the scripture, they called those the gospels. But, um, but it literally means the good news. Good news of the kingdom. Or, like I say, there's places in the scripture that say the gospel of Christ, the gospel of uh, the kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of heaven, uh, the good news of heaven, or whatever. So, um, yeah, but just attach good news to all of those, those workings, and you'll, you'll get the basics of the idea of the word. Uh, all right, so look here. The proclamation of the gospel is associated with healing, and the proclamation of the gospel was initiated, like I say, it really was initiated by the angels, to the shepherds, but it was initiated officially on Jesus' ministry as soon as he got out of the wilderness after he was baptized. And this idea of everyone is forcing their way into it is what I want to jump off of to link it to childness. Because the, the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom of God declares a thing that you can be in, that you can be engaged in, that you can be with, that you can be active in, and you can be living in, okay? And so everyone is forcing his way into it. I don't pretend to know all that that means. I'm sure there's a mystery associated with that that's being uncovered and can be uncovered. But what it means is that at one point in your life, the gospel of ministry is being proclaimed over you, and you may or may not be participating in it. You may or not be experiencing it in its, its fullness. But it says here everyone's forcing their way into it. Now, I think one way that we can think about this that's probably pretty legitimate in the way it talks about it in Scripture is one of the primary manifestations of the proclamation that the kingdom of God, and, and Jesus wasn't just saying, I'm, the, I'm, I'm saying there's a kingdom. He says the kingdom is here. The kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is in you. The kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is coming. The kingdom is here. When I cast out a demon by the finger of God, the kingdom of God has come upon you. So I think some of the forcing in are like the woman with the issue of blood that wouldn't let the crowd deter her and touch the edge of Jesus' garments. One of the other things that happened in this uh, Matthew 9 one is that there were two blind guys. And they were, they, were, they were together and they were going, Son of David, Son of David, you know. People get confused that that's the same one as the one on the road to Jericho. But honestly, there was more than just one or two blind people in, in this area, you know. So these guys pressed into that. That's what I think is part of this. And I think that this is something we need to, we need to open our hearts to. And I know we are. 
I know we're a group of people that believe in stuff like healing and all that kind of stuff, so our hearts are open to it. But I don't know... Well, the reason that I'm excited about the idea of childness is it gives us fresh eyes. It gives us new lookers, new ways to see things, to see them as a child. And I'm, I'm believing that some of the things that are intrinsic to the declaration of the gospel, intrinsic to the advance of the gospel, and to the manifestation of the gospel, we will be able to recognize and assign the proper value to when we think like children, as opposed to when we think like adults. Same as when we were talking about innocence recovery. It's really hard, thinking like an adult, to believe you're innocent, because you can remember that you did it. Well, I did it, so that makes me not innocent. No, you did it, but Jesus makes you not guilty. Okay, that's what we got to think about. All right, <clears throat> so I, I I don't know all that that means. I think there's probably a lot more to it, but I think that's one of those things. So I, I'm hoping that as we embrace our childhood and look at the gospel this way, it will give us an easy way to embrace a more vigorous and a more robust anticipation of the reality that walked around with Jesus and the disciples. Now keep in mind, the disciples, when they were sent out, they came back and had to be cautioned against getting too excited that the demons were subject to them. He said, you know, you should, you should be excited that your name's written in the, in the Lamb's Book of Life. But that's a picture of the gospel. It was the same for them when he sent them out. Then when they sent the 70 out, it's the same way. When we read about it in the Book of Acts, it's the same way. So it's not a doctrinal reason that we should expect this overcoming of the work of the devil, healing and, and deliverance and all this stuff to accompany the gospel. It's a gospel reason. It's a gospel reason. Make sense? All right. I've made my, uh, the mistake a lot of, of doing it the other way. Now, here's the other thing, and I, I titled this the scope of the gospel because I want us to see the gospel as bigger, bigger than we might think of it. Matthew 24, 24, the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So what this can dispel, if we'll look at it the right way, is the fact that the gospel is just the way God gave us to get saved. That is too small a view of the gospel. And if we have too small a view of the good tidings of, of the gospel of Jesus, we'll have too small a view of Jesus. And we'll think that what Jesus has fundamentally done, he did. And then he got an attaboy from the Lord and got taken up and is now sitting at the right hand of the Father waiting until we all do our job, or the ones that are going to get it and the ones that aren't, don't. That's just way too small, and that's always been a dissatisfaction in my understanding of the gospel. Jesus is active in the gospel until the testimony goes to all the nations and until the end comes. Okay? So the gospel of the kingdom began immediately after Jesus' baptism, announcement, and temptation. It continued throughout Jesus' entire travels and ministries. The narration of his life in Matthew, it was there in Matthew 4, it was there in Matthew 9, it was manifest in Luke 16, it was manifest in 24 as Jesus was talking about the end of all things. It always manifests everywhere in healing and deliverance of people. And it will continue until and as a prelude to the end of all things. So, that's the gospel 
of the kingdom. It's also the gospel of heaven, the gospel of God, the gospel of Jesus. All right, but that's the gospel of the kingdom. Okay? Now, I haven't told you guys anything you don't know. Right? So what is the gospel of the kingdom like to a child? Well, this is when, and, and this will bring those of you that haven't heard me teach that, which I think might only be a few of you, but the reason I talk about childness is I was struck one day that Jesus said something very direct and very plain, and we, we don't pay any attention to it. And I think we're suffering, as a result of it, uh, an, uh, a disability, a visual and a, and a spiritual disability to not be able to see and engage the kingdom. So he said, uh, he called a child to himself and said to him before him and said, truly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this little child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I was going to, Ronnie, try to uh, go into some depth talking about your question last week about why is it the child and when we receive him, we receive Jesus. I'm going to do that, I think, next week because I, I, I want us to be able to consider that. And I want us to see the bigger dynamic that exists linking that child all the way back to the father. And I thought I could include it in this, but then I realized, no, that's going to be a, that's a different one. So this is the same place, though, that it comes. The next verse on here, if we were to read it, says uh, something about um, uh, if you receive this child, you receive me. And then if we looked in Mark, if you receive me, you receive not just me, but the one who sent me. So this all came about because the disciples were walking along and they were, they were um, musing among themselves which of them was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so it's really a relevant thing. In the kingdom of heaven, what is greatness? And Jesus goes on to say, it's like children. Then in 19, to prove, this should make us feel good too. The disciples, Jesus just talked to them. He set the kid in their midst. He did a whole bunch of teaching. Did all this kind of stuff. Did some healing. And then in 19, just a little bit later, in the same area, um, some children were brought to him so that he could bless them. And the disciples shoot him away. <laughs> well, it's kind of the same thing when they just got through, their own hands were used to feed 4,000 or 7,000 people. And then they ended up getting in a boat with just one loaf. And they thought, oh no, Jesus is mad at us because we only brought one loaf. I mean, come on. And he says, why don't you understand? So I'm sure he scratched his head at this moment too. But then some children were brought to him so that he might lay hands on them and pray, and the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, let the children alone and do not hinder them from coming to me for the kingdom of heaven belongs. He didn't say they belong in the kingdom. That goes without saying. He said the kingdom belongs to such as these. So now we have these two statements that to me make a very forceful point. You won't enter the kingdom unless you turn and become like a little child. And the turning and becoming like a little child has to be contrasted against us thinking, being, and living like adults. It has to. There's nothing else to contrast it to. So you won't enter this kingdom that I have been proclaiming since I walked out of the wilderness. And that you, because I called you that first day to follow me. 
you four from the beginning. And you're arguing about who's going to be the greatest, and you don't get yet that this kingdom that I have proclaimed, that I have shown you with healing and with caring for the poor, delivering people in demonic oppression, you won't enter that unless you do so as a child. And then, just, I don't know how long it even was, maybe a day or less, I don't know. They didn't even get it. I mean, for instance, we've had a bunch of kids here worshiping lately. If I had been preaching this, and then a bunch of you came up to me after the service and go, it is so distracting for those children to be worshiping up front. I've had that happen in times past, not recently. It is so distracting to have those children working up front. Don't you think that we should do something about that? Then then you would have not understood that my answer would have probably been, yeah, why don't you join on Zoom? <laughs> because we're not going to cut our own nose off to spite our face. But the disciples did that same thing. So it, it gives me hope. God knows that it takes time for us to learn. There's something special about your children as an illustration to us. That's what I want to get into in, in real depth. and I want to have something meaningful to say about it. But there is something special about that. They are an example that Jesus set in the midst of us. They are an example so that we can see who he is and who the Father is in ways that if we don't look through their eyes or borrow their countenance and their eyes to look through, we're going we're gonna, to, it's not that we won't see him, but we'll judge him wrong. Most of the adults around Jesus that saw him with their own eyes didn't understand who he was. They didn't, very few of them accepted him. Very few of them saw that he, he was there. And even the ones like Peter who got a revelation about, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, he still was struggling at various other times. So there's something about this. And, and then so now to flip back to the nature of the kingdom, the kingdom belongs to children. And if you combine these two things, he says, hey, unless you're converted and become like children, you won't enter the kingdom. And the kingdom belongs to such of these. To me, that gives me a great incentive, even though I'm 65 years old, and I have not lived like a child for most of that 65 years, consciously, intentionally. Lord, if you say I can turn, and you say I can become like a child, I will. Show me how. Show me how. Now, um, I don't think it's just a matter of mimicking childlike behavior, although I'm all for doing some of that. I do think innocence and understanding innocence is one of those things. But I also think there's some other things about the kingdom that would occur in the heart of a child naturally that we have to labor for. And so like I said, I was in a theological discussion today where there was uh, several different opinions about things. and. It's impossible for me now not to listen to that and go, well, that is definitely not coming from a, a child position. That is coming from a, a, a Western, rational, I've been to seminary, listen to me position. And, and I haven't been to seminary, I've been to Bible school, but I've, I've been in that position. I've asserted that position before. Um, but it doesn't produce the kind of carefree joy and joyous vision of the kingdom that other, other things do. So, these two things make a very powerful statement. And if you guys remember, I went back to where Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, and I'll speed through this. Uh, Nicodemus was, was 
praising Jesus and talking about how good he was. But he said, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom. So now we have the, the, the triple whammy. Unless you're converted and becomes a little child, you won't enter the kingdom. The kingdom belongs to little children and ones that are like them, such, such as these. And unless you are born again, you won't see the kingdom. And if you've heard me talk about this in the last six months, you know that I think we have made a terrible miscalculation of the concept of being born again. And we've made it a religious exercise whereby your sins are forgiven and you get a ticket to go to heaven. But that's just weird. Because the natural thing of a birth in any species is a child. And to be born again, and Nicodemus knew exactly what he was talking about, because in the next verse, it says, uh, oops, I didn't put the next verse. Yeah, there it is. Uh, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? So he knew what Jesus was talking about. He was thinking, okay, I need to be a child, but how can I crawl back in my mother's womb and be born? And uh, Jesus said, you know, don't, don't be surprised. Unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom. So it's linked back to what he said about the children. So now we can't enter the kingdom unless we're converted and become a child. The kingdom belongs to such ones, to children. And if we're not born again, born from above, we can't even see the kingdom. And as a pastor, I guarantee you, that explains a lot of the weird stuff and the weird doctrine that I've had to sort through in my life about the kingdom. Because we're formulating opinions about it that don't include what it is, because we can't see it. And we're not engaged in it. And Jen, this is one of the really, really big, this is what has given me hope about the linkage between healing and deliverance in the kingdom, is if we can look at it without analyzing the hell out of it as an adult and trying to compare it with our authority as believers, you know, all the kind of things that a child would not have the capacity even to do. A child would follow Jesus around for a week in his town, sneaking out, and he'd see every time somebody that's sick or acting crazy comes up to him, he lays hands on them or he speaks to them and they get better. That's just what they would associate with it. And we've got to do the same thing. But we can't do it as an adult because the very virtue of being an adult is you analyze the heck out of everything. And you do what's right. And you're constantly walking on the knife edge of living under the shade and the nourishment of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Instead of just looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, and going, wow, that's what you did? That's what you told your disciples to do? That's what they did when you sent them out? That's what we do. I think the kid thing is going to be huge in helping us be free of our adult analysis. Okay? There's a big case here. All right, then back to this. Uh, and this is not new, but I'm going to say it a few times. I got some encouragement a couple Tuesdays ago that by repeating things, people actually got a hold of them. So <laughs> now you've created a monster. There was a true light which coming into the world. This is John 1, 9-14. There was a true light which coming into the world, that's Jesus, of course, enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. And the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right or the power to become children of God. Even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of the blood of the, uh, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then it goes on. You know, so 
this is this is this is where we're going to make our transition in just a second. But I want you to go. As many as received him, to them he gave the right or the power to become children of God. And last week I talked to you guys, I think, it was last week, about that word genomai, which is become. It's a process word. It means that you you become the thing you were projected to be or prophesied to be or destined to be. It's not a word that is very often used. And it's used a lot. But it's not very often used for something that just came out of nowhere in its original created moment. So, for instance, it's a word used about people who step into their destiny or people who are ordained to something or people who uh, are called to something and then fulfill it or some, an event that was prophesied. It came to pass. It became, it's that kind of word. And so we talked about in the past that we were conceived as children in the heart of God. And that is what we then get the power to become when we're born again, when we believe and receive Jesus. Now, this gives you an entirely different context in just a moment. There we go. So I want to go through these other verses because this is the definition I want to use, suggest that we begin to use for the, for the gospel of the kingdom. Not the other one. Not the one that focuses on the substitutionary penal atonement of Jesus. Not the one that focuses on uh, you need to examine your sin life and own up to it and repent. I'm all for doing that. But, but that's not the good news. The good news is not that you get a chance to examine all the sins in your life. And then if you repent of those, then you can be saved. That's not the good news. It is good news that when you repent, you can be saved. I'm all for that. But the good news, the good news of the kingdom, is more drawn from this section of Scripture. There was a true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. Let's think of that as one of the first declarations about the gospel of the kingdom. It enlightens every man. Now, we can't derive from that 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 means there's nothing that that man has to do to respond to that light or anything along those lines. As a matter of fact, we're going to see there is something you have to do. But it does help us kind of be delivered from the concept of the gospel is really about a few elect, say 10, 20, 30% of people that God predestined to be saved and the others are predestined to be damned. So, you know, I'm not going to try teaching by a bunch of comparison, but I'm telling you why. That's craziness. That's crazy. And the picture it paints of the Father is crazy. And it's problematic in many, many ways. There was a true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. If it stopped there, we'd have to say, okay, so now there's a light shining that you can see by. So you have the opportunity. But he was in the world and the world was made through him. And the world did not know him. So what can we draw about the gospel of the kingdom out of that verse, the white, white one? How about this? That Jesus was the creator of the cosmos. He was the creator of all the things in it and all the people in it. By virtue of being the creator, he owns them. They're his. They're his. And it just says that in a moment. He came unto his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. 
So that means when you think about yourself, Jesus has a claim on you. Before you ever did anything. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, but the world didn't know him. So the world's knowledge, the people's knowledge of God, is not the basis for his claim on them. He stakes that claim as the creator. And he came unto his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. So being his own is not the fruit of receiving him. Because you were his own when you didn't receive him. The Jews were his own when they didn't receive him. So this gospel now is a broader opportunity. See what I'm saying? It's a broader picture than the one that I was taught when I was in Bible college and the one I preached, unfortunately, for a number of years. But as many as receive him, hmm, now we've got something that's our part, our part to participate in this. As many as receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And I've already talked about how the fact that that's not to originally become like you never were before, but to become the thing that God made you for, that you were created for, to become the thing that is his own, to become the thing that is his own. And it says then, even to those who believe in his name. So the gospel that I was taught and that is commonly circulated around our culture and church churches involves something that's not there. It involves the concept of accepting Jesus or accepting Jesus into your heart. Now, it probably came from that passage uh, in Revelations that says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and uh, if you'll open, I'll come in and I'll sup with you. I'm guessing that's where that came from. It's where I used to think it came from. But what it's... Hmm? About... Um, well, it's confessing with your mouth and believing with your heart. It's not accepting. It doesn't say accepting. It says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. With the heart, you believe unto righteousness. And this is what, this is perfect, Jen, because this is what I mean by how we have allowed something as important as the gospel to be defined with words other than scriptural words and other than scriptural concepts. It is in all tracks. Um, even to those who believe in his name. So to receive Jesus, well, some would say, well, accepting Jesus is receiving Jesus. No, it's not. I can guarantee you it's not exactly the same thing. As a pastor, I have dealt with countless people who have accepted Jesus in an abstract sense, but not believed in him. It's just a reality. It's kind of like what John says about the love of God. We have come to know, I know the love of God, and believe. See, the emphasis here is on receiving him and those that believe in his name. That's an embrace. That is a, yes, Lord. It's not a concept. And his name is who he is. It's the name that's given under heaven whereby men can be saved. And, and, and I'm not trying to like pick on anything or ultra contrast it. 
I'm just saying that, that this story of Jesus and the gift of the incarnation of us becoming children, if we will embrace that gift and we will say, Lord, let your power be released so that I can see and live like a child, we will begin to understand, I think, the meaning of what this is saying here. Now, here's another one that is in a bit of contrast. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. Now, this will sound like I'm being mean to the normal gospel too. What role does the will or the will of man play in most of the preaching of the gospel that you hear and have heard? It's almost the whole thing. It's that you can be born again if you choose, if you will. Now, do I think that we shouldn't want Jesus? That we should? No, I think receiving and believing embraces those things. But do you see how easy it is for the gospel to be twisted and to be put back on us? And if not put back on us, put back on me as a church leader so that I'm satisfied that you've received and believed. I've satisfied. Let me tell you, you don't have to satisfy me. I'm not the one that can be life. Eternal life is not something you end up getting anyway. It's a person you know. It's the Father that you get to know because you've seen Jesus and received Him and accepted Him. It's the Father that you get to know because you now are endued with the power to become that which God conceived you of in His heart before He ever created a single thing. That is the gospel. That is what changes lives. That is salvation. Now, the Lord's working diligently, and so is the Holy Spirit. So a lot of this other stuff about accepting Jesus, receiving Him, and confessing your sins and all that stuff, people get saved through that. I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. But this is the gospel. We have enshrined the will of man and made it the bar you have to go beyond or jump over or whatever. Children wouldn't think that way. They don't think about themselves that much and that deeply. They think about themselves in relationship to other people and in relationship to those that love them and care for them. So it's not the ones that are born of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man, but of God. And then the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, the glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. The other thing that is a sign to me that we need to convert and become like little children and gain access to that vision, gain access to that sight as we contemplate the gospel of the kingdom is because another one of the weird fruits of the way we think about the gospel is that people end up getting saved and they have zero trust in their father. And then they use the excuse that, well, my dad was, or he left, or whatever. What about the one who we saw that was the actual outshining of the glory of the Father? The exact representation of his nature. Why does my dad have the authority to obscure the exact representation and the outshining of the glory of the, my Father in heaven 
Why, who gives him that permission? Well, who gave him that permission is somebody who taught me a gospel that did not involve sharing the life that Jesus was glowing with. Because I didn't receive it as, as, as just at, this, at its surface. It became an option that was depending upon me making the right decision. Or the will of man. We've got to turn this around. Now, I've preached about turning this around for years, but it's hard because I was thinking with the same mind, the adult mind. And I don't even know how to talk about the difference except when I experience it, when I step into the moment and I allow myself to be swallowed up in my brother Jesus and I look at the Father as the Father. Maybe not even as Father God, but as the Father. My father. Remember what Jesus said when uh, he rose and he was sending Mary back to talk to the people? He goes, go and tell them that I'm going to my father and your father. There's something to learn from Jesus if we don't push him off in the distance and make him somebody who did a sacrifice and gave us the opportunity to be saved. But if, he, if, he, if we will let him live in us, and teach us of his Father and our Father. So, the gospel of the kingdom that children see is that a true light has come and it's enlightened every man. Men have to respond to the light, I don't doubt that. That the world was made through him and didn't know him. So that shouldn't surprise us. Now, the fact that they didn't know him, do you think that changes what he thinks about them? Why would it? Why would it? Why would it? He knows them. Vicki and I were just having a conversation about that, and we thought about that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where Paul says, uh, we know now as if we're looking through a, a glass darkly. And then you expect the next thing him to say is, but then we'll look like the glass has been cleaned. It doesn't say that. He says, then we'll know as we're known. The standard is not a clean mirror. The standard is that God knows who you are. And he's always known who you are. Because he's the one that sent the true light into the world, enlightening the heart of every man. He's the one that made the world, even though the world didn't know him. And he's the one that came to his own. And we are his own. But we didn't know him. So the role that what we don't know gets smaller. It doesn't go away. It's not insignificant, but it gets smaller. And when we receive him and we believe in his name, we get the power to become children who are born not of our own will and not of our natural lineage, but of God. And then we see his glory and we know our Father through him. God forbid that I ever lead another person to Jesus that doesn't walk away knowing the Father. I don't think it's necessary. I don't think we have to. So, the hard part now is going to come because we still don't know how to turn and become children. Lord, help us figure that out. You say we can do it. I believe we can. Help us do that. Second, um, 
What's it like? We have to practice. It's a becoming process. I believe that all of us in this room have received Jesus and believed in his name. That means the power to become children is actively at work in you and me right now. That makes sense? So, um, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us understand the nuances of this in a way, and some of them are just bold. They're big and bold. Um, they focus on what you've done, who you sent. They focus on who we were created to be, and they focus on us becoming that and recognizing him and you and bathing in the glory and responding to it, seeing it. There's some key in this, Lord, about becoming and seeing and thinking like little children. I know it is super important, and I know it's necessary, and I know you're working in our lives to see that happen. Holy Spirit, um, back in Romans again. Those that are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. And because we are sons, it says, He sent His Spirit into our hearts to cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. So Holy Spirit, you're doing that work. We just say yes to it. We say amen to it. We give ourselves to it as fully as we know how. Help us understand the gospel of the kingdom. Help us enter the kingdom. Help us see the kingdom. Help us begin to explore what it means for the kingdom to belong to us. Help us, Lord, not to be afraid of the manifestations of that kingdom that followed you and your disciples. Let it follow us as well as we walk as children. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Got a question, Dave, or a comment? Yeah. Come on up so, so I can hear you on Zoom. Oh, uh, it, it, uh, beloved, it does not yet appear who we show, what we show. No, no, no. Okay. Or not of the will of the flesh, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Because as I'm, as I'm reading that, it's... It's almost as if it's talking about two groups of people. Because as I read that, it, the first part says, um, and to them they gave the right to become children of God, who, yeah. So, he was in the world. He came Not born of blood. Well, no, 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 I want to even get before that. He was in the world. He came to his own, and, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. That's that's one group. I'm, and I'm just working this out of sure, my head. Sure, sure. And the second group is even to those who believe in his name. And when I read that, it's kind of like you got these first guys that just for some miraculous reason believed, bam, like that. But then you have the second group who believed not of their own blood, not, not mm-hmm. because of their blood, not because of their will, not because okay. of the flesh, blah, blah, blah. But, and so, and I might be getting that wrong, and I, I probably am, but that's, that's what it seems to be saying. All, all I would suggest, because a scripture does come to mind, but, but um, we'll, we'll have to develop it a little bit more, um, maybe in conjunction with that thing about the kids. But, um, at the end of John chapter 17, the big promise at the end of that is Jesus says, I have made your name known and I will. So 
it's a process, and I don't think I don't think we think about it right if we think of that as like the creation of a permanent subcategory. So, for instance, just just let your imagination run to the rich young ruler. Jesus told him what to do to follow him. He turned him down. Do you really think that he he didn't reconsider that after Jesus was crucified or all this kind of stuff was going on? The Holy Spirit was poured out. That's what I think we need to think like. So I I, I do think that there's a, a response necessary, but um, yeah. So we'll talk about that more. That's a good question. Hi. Hi. I had another question. We. You want me? I can do it right here, or you want uh, to walk back up? Well, back up. I, I don't know. Is it <laughs> it's real a long quick. time? Oh, go ahead. Um, we talked about in in the process of tonight. You were talking about the idea that it's not a lot about us accepting him. It's not a thing we. Uh, no, do. I, I said that concept of accepting him is nowhere in the scriptures. Okay, how much different is the concept of accepting him versus receiving him? I think it's different. How much different? Yeah, I think it's different, and we'll explore that. I, can't, I just can't do it tonight, but I, and it's a legitimate question for sure. Okay. Um, what I think is that we won't forget, we record everything. you can accept something without engaging it. That's true. Like, I accept that weight training will make me stronger now that I'm older and I'm losing muscle mass. I don't receive it because I don't go down and do it, even though the machine is in my basement. And if I do go down and do it and do it regularly, then I will say I have received that knowledge. But I, I believe what well, my point is that I want us to avoid is that we can accept things abstractly without really them affecting our life.